Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. As always, I'm here with Austin Knight and we've got a really, really awesome episode today. Uh, We had a really cool chance to speak with uh, Mark Boyron last week about all things Facebook and all things Libra, something that we talked about in our first episode of this series. Uh, Austin, why don't why don't you give a bit of an intro into who Mark is and and what you guys had the chance to to chat about? Yeah, so I know that definitely as we were talking through Libra and Calibra, the, a lot of the big sort of what ifs and questions that we had were mostly focused around Facebook and regulation and legislation that could come into play with this piece of technology. So we wanted to get a legal expert on the show as quickly as possible to talk about some of the implications surrounding that. And that's exactly what we did with Mark. He's a partner in the fintech and blockchain practice group of Fisher Broyles, pretty cool law firm you've probably heard of, as a proponent of blockchain technology. And uh, as somebody that is personally passionate in the space, it was cool to hear about how he works through guiding companies in blockchain uh, through a bunch of complex legal issues. And he's been doing this for quite some time. Prior to joining Fisher Broyles, he founded and led the blockchain smart contracts and cryptocurrencies practice group of Rutan and Tucker. And he's also worked with some of the most recognized law firms in the country representing companies like Allergan, Dell, and General Electric in a broad range of transactions, crypto and non-crypto related. So it was really cool to talk to him about um, this sort of developing space around Libra and Calibra, specifically related to the regulatory risks that they could be facing. We discussed the impact of Libra on stable coins and fiat currencies, how the way that the Libra network is currently contemplated will limit Facebook's influence. I know that there's definitely been a lot of questions around like, you know, how much influence can Facebook have over the Libra network? And Mark certainly shared a point of view on that, mm. um, which I'll, I'll dive into a, a, a little bit here um, later around like Mark's point of view and then some of <clears throat> what we've been see- seeing in the meantime from the congressional hearings. Uh, and then we also discussed where the adoption of Libra and Calibra is most likely to happen. Um, really interesting <laughs> thoughts on that. <laughs> and then uh, Mark shared, shared his personal take on why he thinks there's too much focus on Facebook. Now, uh, I do want to share that Mark is is actually part of the firm Fisher Broyles, which represents Facebook. And so there, there is some shared interest here. Yep. Uh, but Mark certainly came on here with, you know, uh, I, what I felt to be a pretty balanced perspective, um, but I do want our listeners to know that you know this is this is definitely going to be a pro Facebook and, and pro Libra perspective, and um, uh, there's there's certainly you know other sides to the the arguments and thoughts that we'll be hearing here, but I think that Mark did a pretty good. Uh, job of articulating a perspective that maybe we're not hearing quite as much, which is, you know, um, is is like all of these alarms that are being thrown. Um, how, how legitimate are they and how much of it is scare tactics? So lots of great conversation about that. 
Yeah, well, I guess we had to find someone that was pro-Libra, right, to, to, to balance this <laughs> all out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know that, like, Matt and I definitely, um, I, I would say that we pretty safely fall into the skepticism mm. realm here, um, as I think many people in the space do. So it was good to hear from somebody that is is taking a little bit of a different uh, approach to this and, and for, for them to share their perspective. Um, but in the days since this interview, uh, a lot has developed with the congressional hearings that have been taking place uh, around Facebook and Libra and Calibra specifically. Mm. And I wanted to call out uh, some observations that I had and also some really interesting points that were mentioned on uh, Laura Chin's podcast, Unconfirmed. She had Peter Van Valkenburg, the director of research at Coin Center on, and he brought up some interesting perspectives that I thought would be worth uh, sort of translating here because I, th I, th I think that they're very relevant to the interview that we had with Mark and there were some shared threads there. So first, I want to mention that... Um, this, this whole hearing was taking place to the backdrop of a very uh, partisan debate, uh, a bunch of partisan uh, arguments, right? Um, Democrat versus Republican, uh, people sort of not very commonly reaching across the aisle and finding common ground. And at the same time, I think that a, a lot of bipartisanship was displayed during these hearings. You had uh, Katie Representative Katie Porter from the Democrat side as going on an excellent line of questioning about the uh, Libra, Libra's reserve and how that's actually going to be set up. And she said something that I thought was very telling, where she said, I have... I." Can I have concerns about Libra that I do not have about cryptocurrencies in general? And then she went on to ask about, you know, do, do you all hold the dollars that back the reserve or is it mm. tied to a dollar that is somewhere else? Lots of interesting questions about how that is actually going to work. And I think those questions have still yet to really be properly answered. Interestingly, uh, Republican Representative Sean Duffy had this very iconic moment where he took a $20 bill and held it up and he said, this $20 bill is great in that it doesn't matter who is holding it. If they are holding this $20 bill, they can use it. So I pose the question with Facebook and Calibra regulating the, the Libra currency, that in the same way that Facebook has chosen to censor people from its platform who have views that they disagree with, could Libra potentially censor people from its currency whose views mm -hmm. they disagree with as well? Uh, and he had this interesting quote where he said, you, you Facebook Calibras can serve as judge and jury in this transaction, um, which for me, it really brought up this moment where I think I, that's where I started to understand the implication of uh, having s any centralized body governing a, a, a digital currency um, and the implications of that centralized body being, you know, opinionated corporations or a group of uh, large corporations and, and what that could actually mean. And this sort of led to some more points by uh, Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, where she said, you know, that money should be a public good. Um, and they were asking about the, the criteria that the association itself 
uh, holds in, in order to like let a new member of the association in. Right now we have 28. Eventually there will be a 100. Who are those additional members going to be? And there was this interesting question, which was if, for example, there were a Chinese state-owned company that met the criteria and was willing to put up the $10 million, could they join the association? And uh, there was no answer for that. That's that's which I find to be very disconcerting. Yeah. So um, lots lots of interesting things happening there. But I think that what I really got out of this is that um, through scrutinizing Libra, I think that our Congress people are starting to understand Bitcoin and the value of decentralization. Like through all of the scrutiny scrutiny that we are seeing. Uh, pointed at Libra was mostly focused around issues of centralization uh, and specifically like centralization of power. And uh, I think that that lends itself to the importance of decentralization, which also lends itself to tech like uh, Bitcoin. So very interesting stuff happening there. Yeah, I think that's such a uh, an important point, right, is we can kind of say what we like about Libra and is Libra going to be something that spurs wider adoption across the cryptocurrency space? I'm I'm unsure. I mean, there's arguments whether like you you should even call Libra a cryptocurrency, but I think one thing is clear. Regulators, because this is a mainstream technology company, because this is hitting mainstream news, because this is going to affect large groups of the a large slice of the population that can now have easy access to this regulators need to be better and i think that's been one of the scrutiny uh, like the i guess the complaints that a lot of people have had especially around things like cambridge analytica scandal and prior to that that it has felt mm-hmm. like regulators have somewhat been out of touch and not understood things gdpr being another good example of that and i and i think this could be a great way of bringing in better more educated individuals around this technology to serve on the the regulatory boards which i think really will help in the long term with with the the movements of wider cryptocurrencies yeah absolutely um i i i think that if i were to compare these congressional hearings to some of the hearings that we've seen in the past like the ones that were focused around uh election meddling and cambridge analytica and everything like that um, I would say that these, th- this this round of questions, uh, the representatives seem to come much more with much more informed uh, things to ask and, and observations to make, um, even if they were still on somewhat fundamental and basic levels. But I, I think that that was actually pretty important to do at, at this point because we're still at that stage with Libra, right? So asking these very basic and foundational questions is the right thing to do. And I felt that the nature of the questions pointed to a, uh, a a good deal of research having been conducted on the part of our nation's representatives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've given a great summary of uh, what we're about to dive into. There's only one thing to do right now. Let's, let's dive straight into the interview with Mark. Mark, it is so great to have you here with us on the Decrypting Crypto podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
So I wanted to kind of start out with just on the personal end, I know that you're very passionate about the Libra and Calibra announcements and projects. And so I wanted to hear how did you react initially to the announcement and what is your overarching sort of view on the project itself? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I was, I was very surprised when I saw it. You know, everyone had heard about it for a while. But but frankly, I, I thought this would end up being something that wasn't really a big deal at all. But but when you take a look at, you know, the white paper and you start reading what they're trying to achieve, it's it's very impressive. And, and you know, it's frankly game changing in, in many ways. And so, you know, I got I got super excited about it um, because of the the impact that I think it can have in so many different ways. Fantastic. Uh, I know that you you mentioned prior to when we were recording that this is something you've been very active with, both personally but also professionally. And working as an attorney, uh, I'm sure that you've observed that the, the press coverage around Libra tends to focus on two main themes, really, which are Facebook and its involvement in the association and the Calibra product and regulation. Uh, we're going to cover both of those here, but right now I'm I'm really interested in as somebody with experience guiding blockchain companies through the unique and complex legal issues that they're prone to facing. Uh, what you think are some of the regulatory risks that you could foresee Libra and Calibra running up against? Yeah, I mean. I think the, you know, you just kind of, you look at what Libra is doing and the first thing that, that hits you, I think, from, you know, my perspective as, as a lawyer in the space is, wow, they're, they, they really hit kind of everything in terms of potential regulations that could apply to them. You know, so you, you start from kind of the securities law perspective and you look at, you know, the, the basket of, of currencies and securities that are going to be underlying the Libra currency. And then looking at that and, and essentially, you know, the role that the Libra Association is going to play in, in essentially potentially the role it's going to play in setting kind of what those currencies and, and securities are. And you're like, eh, this could potentially create um, some securities laws issues. And, and that's on top of what you already have in terms of the SEC talking about stable coins as potentially being securities in st certain instances. Uh, and you look at this one and you're like, well, it's definitely no, no different. If anything, it might have some higher risks in terms of, of being uh, securities. You know, then you move on to, to the money transmitter aspect of that. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the one thing that's not 100% clear right now on the Libra Association is, you know, how exactly the basket of, of fiat and securities are, are going to be held. You know, based on on how it's held, um, who is actually issuing the tokens, you know, whether money transmitter laws are going to apply is going to depend a lot on mm -hmm. that. Um, and the, the, you know, the interesting thing is as somebody, you know, having worked on, on stable coins and things, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about it in terms of trying to pass off certain risks to other parties, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a trust company or bank actually being the one that holds all the crypto as well as, as any fiat. And that the, you know, in this case, what would be the Libra Association, the actual issue of the token is just a tech provider um, and whether that might get you around some some money transmitter issues. So there's a lot different ways to, to handle that that may or may not trigger um, money transmitter issues. 
You know, then you look at yeah. um, whether you, you're going to have any commodity law issues. You know, again, depending on what that basket ends up looking like, you know, th- there's certain instances in which you could potentially see this being treated as a swap under under the commodity laws. Um, so so that, that that's another part of it. And then and then going back to who's actually going to be holding, you know, the, the fiat, you know, and, and the government securities that back Libra, you know, what kind of banking laws might apply to them. And then take all of that and now multiply that across a huge number of jurisdictions. Um, and you, you definitely have your hands full from a regulatory perspective. And, and that's letting alone how uh, <laughs> the politicians feel about it and what additional legislation they might try to impose. Yeah, and certainly there is a lot of discussion that's happening amongst politicians with Libra positioning itself as a global cryptocurrency. We've already heard from China, France, India, Japan, South Korea, Russia, Singapore, Thailand, and the United States, in addition to several intergovernmental organizations like the European Central Bank and the Bank of International Settlements, that they've already sort of indicated the need for regulatory action. Uh, Of course, some of you may have seen the quotes from the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, um, where he was talking about serious concerns regarding privacy, money laundering, consumer protection. Uh, Also on China's end, Wang Jin, the director of the China Central Bank's uh, Research Bureau, had some thoughts to share around threats that they perceived from Facebook's plans to create their own cryptocurrency. At least that's the way that they're seeing it. Uh, so there is a lot of discussion here, but I'm I'm specifically interested, Mark, in your take on the pieces that you were talking about with the, the whether Libra would aqu- qualify as a money transmitter a commodity. Um, what are the implications of these things if it is determined that they meet those criteria? Yeah, and and I mean, depending on on what laws apply, that the implications are different. You know, on the on the money transmitter side of it, you know, the the way the the FinCEN has has interpreted you know the Bank Secrecy Act in the virtual currency space ha- has essentially been to uh, give a lot of leeway to you know truly kind of decentralized uh, virtual currencies um, where there's essentially no no intermediary now. This is not that, given that you have a direct exchange of, you know, fiat and, and whatever. Well, it's going to be fiat for the Libra currency. And so there's going to need to be some kind of uh, regulation there. And FinCEN's going to be looking at somebody to do that. The question is who ends up being the, the player in all of this that ends up actually being that intermediary. You know, as I kind of hinted, you know, earlier on, whether the Libra Association is actually the one who is going to be uh, taking in the the currency um, as well as issuing the, the token or whether they're going to try to pass some of that off to third parties who may already be licensed. Um, you know, that's, that's a question to be seen. You also know that, you know, the way, again, the money transmitter laws work, uh, you're talking about intermediaries. So, you know, we've already seen that Calibra, for example, has already re- registered as a money services business um, and is already looking at the, the state licenses that it needs um, to deal in virtual currencies. 
And so um, you already see that the applications that are going to be built on top of the, of, of the Libra network are going to be, you know, regulated by FinCEN just the way, you know, right now you've got intermediaries built on top of the you know, Bitcoin network that are that are regulated. So, so you know, that's one part of it. You know, if you get into the securities laws aspects of it, that's where it really gets tricky because Libra can be built in in a way that provides flexibility to actually deal with money transmission uh, issues. I, again, because you essentially can can just go ahead and collect that data, and it's not supposed to be decentralized. So somebody is there to collect the data that needs to be collected and and play the role that that FinCEN requires. But you know, for securities laws, if if you had for securities laws applying to the Libra currency, you know, for for all intents and purposes, it's it's dead. It it really doesn't work in the U.S. Um, you know, and and then commodity laws uh, again, given the way that the Libra Association plans on having the currency be used, as in this isn't just going to be between kind of big institutional players, but you know, you've got the retail folks part of it. Uh, the commodity laws also would. Create Create issues, you know, and, and and obviously we're talking about it from a, a U.S. perspective, and, and that's the perspective that I have. But but in a way, it's almost like the it's almost like there's a huge focus on the U.S. because of um, potential, and, and this is a really big statement, but it's the one that that everyone's applying uh, risks to like somehow debasing the U.S. dollar at one point, um, and so the U.S. becomes so relevant because of that discussion. But really, I think you know most people would see Libra's real use being outside of the U.S. Um, and so you know maybe the fact that you know certain regulators will take positions um, in the U.S. with respect to, to Libra, um, you know might not end up being so problematic if the focus ends up being outside of the U.S. So that's a fascinating aspect of this to me. I know that Facebook is, uh, you're, you're absolutely right that most of the conversation has centered around those large markets like the United States and the uh, and China and the European Union and the impact that uh, could be brought on Libra as a result of regulation in all of those different jurisdictions. But at the same time, Facebook is a major force in emerging markets. In fact, two-thirds of Facebook's 2.3 billion active users are in emerging markets. But the problem is that they produce very little revenue. So Facebook earns 10 times more per user in the U.S. and Canada than it does in Asia. And there is some speculation around perhaps Libra could offer a path to monetization of these users. And it wouldn't be too big of a surprise. For example, the payments market in India is growing 60% year over year. If you're in, been in, if you've been plugged into the blockchain space for some time, you know all of the crazy stats around 1.7 billion users being unbanked and an additional billion being underbanked. Could Libra or Calibra be less concerned with large regulatory bodies like the U.S. and China, and more concerned with EM nations? Where, where do you expect to see the most adoption and use of Libra and Calibra? You know, in terms of, of, of Libra, I think, actually, frankly, any of it is going to be in, in the emerging markets. And, and the simple reason for that is, and, and I mean, maybe I'll go with an analogy. The, the way I always talk about this is, you know, uh, you know Venmo, you know, well, the better way to put it is that the, the Libra currency, you know, is essentially going to be what is used by Calibra 
to you know build its business just the same way Venmo uses you know the the US dollar or whatever other currency on which to build its business and the infrastructure on which Venmo is building is the current banking system and the infrastructure on which you know Calibra is going to be building is going to be the the Libra protocol what that does though is is when you look at that comparison you're like okay well in the US if I'm using Venmo is that really a problem and I think most people would say, frankly, there is absolutely no reason not to use Venmo in the U.S. It is fine. I don't need a replacement. You know, for somebody to get a 10x better experience than Venmo, frankly, is probably pretty hard. And, and there's no reason that that Libra uh, would provide would, would provide that, or that, that there's anything Calibra could do to to provide that. So, so you know, when you think of it that way. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, well, we, we've got a good option here. Yes, it's not censorship resistant, things like that, all things that are less important than the U.S. But then when you start going, you know, to, to certain emerging markets, that's where you start seeing, you know, much greater benefits. And, and don't get me wrong, in the U.S., I'm not saying there's no benefits. Like, very simple, just try to actually, you know, transact on the banking system in the U.S. during holidays or, or anything like that, and it's not not a great experience. But, but for everyday use, you know, in the emerging markets, you have a situation where, you know, when you've got a, a you know, virtual currency like Libra um, that can exist on anybody's mobile phone with no limits in terms of access to the banking infrastructure, um, and when you can have it be uh, extremely easy for funds to be sent from, from one country to another country, presumably in seconds, um, and whether it's large or small amounts, that's something that, that just doesn't really exist right now, other than through um, you know the current virtual current the virtual currencies that we currently have, none of which, frankly, are are as accessible as as we'd like for the average person. And so you know I think Libra you know has an opportunity to change that, um, given I think its global nature, who's involved with it, and frankly, as much as I you know at upfront I don't like the fact that it's you know not it's it's a permission ledger, you know it's something that that starting off probably makes sense. The fact that they have a goal to move towards a permissionless ledger is fabulous, but but there's a benefit to having a permission ledger up front that is going to allow them to kind of deal with these regulatory issues, focus on the jurisdictions that make most sense, uh, and and kind of build out the Libra network from there. Yeah, I think you make a good point, and definitely the path is somewhat paved, at least in Asian markets, with the prevalence of WeChat Pay um, being like a primary payment vehicle. And I think it comes as no surprise that the first product from Calibra is going to be a digital wallet that will be available in Messenger, WhatsApp, and actually as a standalone app. But now thinking about the the presence in emerging markets and outside of these large regulatory bodies that we've been discussing previously, um, with Libra being a reserve-backed stablecoin, would you expect any kind of impact that it could have on stable coins or fiat currency specifically in these markets where their fiat currency might not be quite as stable? Yeah, look, look I, I think, it, you know, I would throw some some don't I I put the Libra currency in the category of a stable coin. You know, it's not as obvious because 
you know, as much as Libra is supposed to be a stable coin, it's not necessarily pegged to a certain fiat currency in the way uh, most of them have been done. And and so, you know, for that reason, it's kind of looked at differently by some. I view it as a stable coin. And when you when you look at that and you compare it to other stable coins, you know, again, I, I think there's there's an advantage to starting with a uh, permission ledger and to have, you know, massive financial, well, massive institutions backing it who are going to be able to create much greater adoption for that stablecoin much faster, presumably through their relationships, you would you would assume that that's going to create issues for many other stablecoins. Um, you know, on top of that, when you when you think about what's going to be backing Libra, the the Libra currency, which again we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but presumably a basket of, of fiat currencies and some government securities, and when you compare that to Let's say a fiat-backed stablecoin that that has you know one currency behind it. You know, I think I think most people in most countries would prefer to have one with a more diverse basket. And then when you compare it to you know collateralized stablecoins that are you know collateralized by you know real assets or by you know other other cryptocurrencies, um, I think there's still a, a level of of risk there and uncertainty that people aren't necessarily comfortable with. That they won't you know they're not going to have that same kind of concern with Libra. And then you have you know the the kind of other group of of stablecoins uh, in terms of kind of algorithmic stablecoins that nobody's been able to figure out, and so they're not really much of competition. So when you kind of compare across all of those, you know Libra just seems like the 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 best most trustworthy and and that's key because at first it is going to be need to be trusted uh stable coin and and i think that's going to give it a huge advantage on a global level yeah do you think that that's ultimately going to be a, a good thing or a bad thing especially in in the context of like something that we talked about in our previous episode where we were outlining just sort of the architecture of of Libra and its potential implications is how it maybe could undermine currencies of oppressive regimes like that of Venezuela with the extreme inflation, government-inflicted mismanagement and inflation that they've experienced as a result of that and how that could actually be an amazing thing for people that are otherwise trapped in a terrible situation. But then it could also potentially undermine the fiat currency of a perfectly competent and growing nation and its leaders. Do you buy into that idea? How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely buy into it. I, I think on the uh, on the side of, of you know, fiat currencies that have huge uh, volatility and generally very inflationary, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at it. On one hand, I think it's a no-brainer that it's 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 you'd rather use Libra and hold Libra than um, you know any any currency from one of those countries. The the on the other hand, the question is, are you better off holding Libra versus something that's completely censorship resistant? And I think that's something that's that yet to be figured out in terms of how the Libra Association is going to react to whether it's it's threats, demands, or just you know requests from from governments in those in those countries uh, that basically say, hey, you need to shut this off. Um, and given that it's permissioned, um, presumably they'll essentially have the ability to do that. And so, you know, when you look at it that way, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, that part's not great. But when you look at it relative to their current options, I, I think it's much better. 
Um, and so, you know, overall, I, I think it's something that if I'm, <laughs> if I'm uh, in, in the government in one of those countries, I'd be very concerned. In terms of, of you know, more established uh, and stable countries um, like, like the EU or, or uh, like the U.S. Or, or jurisdictions like the EU, I think that you have less fear but still concerns, and the concerns come out of the, the you know, unknowns, unknowns, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. the, if you really don't know what impact this could have. You don't know how big it could get. Uh, you don't know how, you know, actively it's going to be managed. You don't know what, what is going to be behind it. Uh, and, and that's something that is, I, I think, just concerning in general for governments, and frankly, for anybody, any organization would be worried about an incoming competitor, if you want to see it that way, um, where we're there, it's it's been untested and you really don't know the impact you know and then lastly the thing the thing i touched on is you know i, I think people in the in in the crypto space you know i've heard it a few times and and frankly i'm i'm a believer that that you know one one day there's going to be some kind of of pushback um, more more than the the once in a while little pushback that you get now on, on the us dollar as kind of the the reserve currency of the world and and people talk about you know Bitcoin as being the beneficiary of that, and you're gonna have Bitcoin as the as the reserve currency, which I think is unlikely for the next you know whatever 30, 40, 50 years. But but the reason why this isn't like a huge benefit to Bitcoin is because realistically, what's gonna replace the U.S. dollar right now? And and the answer is there really is nothing. The the you know you've got the mm-hmm. the euros too small, the not enough float. Same thing with the yen. You really don't have another you know currency that has the same kind of of, of float as you have and liquidity as you have in the in the U.S. dollar. But when you start looking at what Libra could potentially become, and frankly, if you're a government outside of the U.S., what you wish it might become is an mm-hmm. alternative to the U.S. dollar, where the U.S. doesn't have the same power it currently has and that it can flex because of the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency. You know, I'd actually be pretty excited about it if I'm one of those jurisdictions. I'd be, I'd be, I mean, frankly, as far out as it is and as far-fetched as it seems, I think the U.S. you know the, the U.S. Uh, politicians have a reason to be you know slightly concerned. I don't personally think the way it's being handled is is very is the right way or very American or constitutional way to to handle it. But it's uh it's it's a concern. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that especially over the course of the last couple of days, we've really seen a lot come out around that. A direct quote from Jerome. Powell, who I uh, previously mentioned as the Federal Reserve chairman, was, quote, Facebook has a couple billion plus users. So I think you have, for the first time, the possibility of very broad adoption, end quote, of cryptocurrency is what he's referring to here. And I, I think that that's the thing that has really caught people's attention is the scale of the rollout and impact that that Libra and Calibra being directly associated to Facebook could have here is it's like, oh, wait, this is this is not just, you know, some uh, science projecty thing that caught a, a little bit of press and has become very valuable as a result. Uh, this is something that a a bunch, a huge group, an association of the world's uh, most influential companies 
our backing. And that's where you get quotes like from Jerome Powell as well, where he says, quote, I don't think the project can go forward without addressing those concerns. So very interesting time and reaction to this announcement for sure. So building off of that, I am curious, like in light of of that quote and this sentiment that, oh my gosh, you know, we we actually need to stop what's happening here. And that's actually a a very real possibility, of course, that a lot of roadblocks could be put up between now and the, the launch of this technology, which is still a ways off. Do you feel like in order to meet regulatory compliance, especially in these large jurisdictions, that we could expect some changes, perhaps fundamentally, to Libra's design? Yes, is, is I think the short answer. You know, the way the way I always approach this, you know, when I get a client that comes to me um, looking to design a virtual currency, whether it's a stable coin or otherwise, the client always has a view on what it wants it to look like. And then we start walking through kind of different regulations and and problems that you're going to have here or there. And then it starts looking a little bit different and it gets redesigned kind of around some of those issues or to address some of them. And and what, you know, the client comes with to me and then what it ends up like is often, you know, quite a bit different. I mean, the goal is to still achieve the same goals, but in a, in a different way, you know, and I assume that I'm sure that has already happened with, with Libra. They've spent a lot of time starting from a, a certain point and saying, okay, how do we get to that final point where where we can actually launch this now you add on top of that the scrutiny that they're getting and the actual conversations that they're going to have with the regulators and you can assume that as much as it's probably already changed now it'll change more you know the thing that 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 facebook and the you know other 28 um you know founding members of uh the libra association and and the other whatever it is, 72, that'll come on board at one point. What they don't have is is the freedom to just kind of take some risk. That is the kind of risk that many companies in the crypto space have taken. Sure, some of them might take risks, but but they're not the same. Um, and so, you know, you've got, uh, again, you know, Facebook, regardless of, of your thoughts on Facebook with respect to privacy and its current products, um, it's, it's not out there to just say, I don't care what people think about me. And it's the same thing for, you know, Visa and MasterCard. And so same, th- I mean, it, it's just one of those things that they they actually care what what organizations uh, and governments are going to think about them. And for that reason, they're going to work with them and get to a point where they feel comfortable. That is naturally going to take away from some of what they're doing. But I already think that the design that they've, they have is a design that's taken a lot of these things uh, into account so that now rather than huge design changes, it's really tweaks or even just features that they need to add to be able to really meet the demands of regulators. Okay. Interesting. So are there any, like beyond that, are there any specific changes from a legal perspective that you would expect to see imposed or, or no? Right now, one of the, the biggest questions is going to be around really how, what, what kind of ability the different founding members um, or whoever else is really holding on to um, the or whoever's actually validating transactions 
what kind of data they're actually going to be seeing and and what kind of actions they plan on taking in terms of restricting certain transactions. So I, the biggest changes I could see there is is you know right now my understanding from from you know, a recent post out there is that you know we're going to see you know transaction addresses, wallet addresses, we're going to see that there's a transaction we might see the the amount of that transaction and I think that's that's pretty much it. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there had to be some kind of engineering done around that to kind of give uh, more or less insights to, to be able to comply with, with different demands. But, you know, it's one of those hard things because on one hand, you've got uh, folks talking about not wanting the the different, you know, founding members to actually be able to see data. On the other hand, you've got regulators who may very well say, no, 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 we want you to be able to see all the data so you can report suspicious activity to us. Um, and so that's kind of one of those those interesting points where, you know, the demands of the regulators might actually cause more uh, data to, to end up in the hands or, or hard drives of, of these companies. So I want to transition now to those companies. Uh, and one of them specifically, which I think the most of the press has been focused around, which is Facebook's involvement in the project. Do you feel like the the level of press that has been focusing on Facebook here is warranted? Yeah, I mean, my my view, and I've been very uh, outspoken about this, is that it's been completely unwarranted. And, and it has nothing to do with what Facebook's done in the past. It has to do with the design uh, of Libra and, and why, frankly, I think it's it's a great way that it's been approached, which is simply as much as Facebook might have say in Libra now, and, and my understanding, I think, probably through the end of this year, Facebook doesn't have much say ultimately in what's going to happen with Libra. And, and frankly, even if it does continue to have an outsized presence, you're, what you're talking about is other massive organizations, again, Master, MasterCard, Visa, Uber, all of which are going to say, okay, fine, Facebook, you, you, you came up with this, this is a great idea, but we're not going to put our reputations on the line for what you want to do. And so regardless of, of risks relating to or views folks have with respect to Facebook, you've got checks and balances all over the place, both from a technical perspective and a reputational perspective that, that really makes Facebook, for lack of a better word, kind of irrelevant uh, in this. And, and that the reason why I think the press has just totally kind of outblown, like blown this out of proportion with respect to Facebook. I mean, the, the easy answer to that is simply it uh, it gets people to read it. Um, but I don't think it's it's an actual accurate assessment when people say, hey, Facebook's currency is going to do X, Y, Z, because it's just so far away from actually being Facebook's currency. Sure. What degree then do you think Facebook is going to be able to influence the Libra network itself? Because I think that that's mostly been, at least as you sort of peel back the layers of, of the, the sentiment underlying those articles beyond the sort of Facebook fear-mongering is that not only is Facebook going to have control over Calibra, that, but that there could potentially be ways that it influences Libra itself as well. I mean, just by design, it's going to have a 1% influence. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, 
know, I'm not I'm not privy to, to organizational documents, but from from the white paper, you know, they're going to be one of a hundred members, and they're not going to have any special privileges relative to others. And and given that fact. Um, again, they could have some outsized influence just because they came up with it. Folks might listen to them. Folks might look at them more. But ultimately, when it comes to an actual decision, they're they're one percent of of the vote. And so there's going to be a whole lot of other large organizations that are going to need to agree with the direction that that Facebook or, or anyone else wants to take it. Interesting. Which, by the way, should should mention it's. That in in and of itself is an issue, right? Is is you've got all these large organizations, many of which don't act all that fast, who are going to need to make decisions. For example, if you want to change the 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 um, basket that comprises the Libra currency, I think you need a vote. I think it's of two thirds of 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 the members. Well, you know, g- getting kind of that vote and making decisions with respect to those things with you know massive organizations is not an easy thing to do. So that that part of it's going to be super interesting as well. Yeah, uh, I uh, I can't imagine what that's going to be like, but um, I'm sure that'll be uh, something that we can watch unfold as the project evolves and see how that works out. So Mark, it's been excellent having you on the show. I've really enjoyed learning about the uh, impact of regulation that you expect to to see descend upon Libra as the the project continues to mature, the potential that you feel it has, especially in emerging markets, and then ultimately the role that you feel Facebook is going to play in this whole thing. I think it's it's very interesting to get your perspective as an attorney on all of this. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us here. Thanks for having me, Austin. It's been a lot of fun. So if anyone from our audience wants to get in touch with you, follow up with questions, be privy to the what you're sharing with your audiences and the conversations that you're having with them, where might they find you? Uh, sure. I'm, I'm very active on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is Boron Attorney, uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn, at Mark Boron. Those are probably the two easiest ways to find me. And of course, uh, you know, my firm's website, fisherbroils.com. You can easily find me there as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you, Austin. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Coin Offering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.